We're going to open our Bibles now. We are working our way through the book of Mark. We're up to chapter 10 this morning. We're going to be dealing with the first 30 uh, verses of Mark 10. I'm going to invite Lisa up, and Lisa is going to read uh, those verses for us. Thanks. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him <coughs> excuse me, and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. 
but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. Uh, keep your Bibles open. It's a big chapter. There's lots in it. We're going to work our way through it together today, and it'd be good if you can follow along. Check what I'm saying against what the Bible's saying and keep up with us. Now I have to confess, uh, I don't get tax. Um, they didn't teach us about it in school. Uh, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, okay, I get the principle. Like, it's good for us to give money to the government so that they can do stuff for us. But what I don't get, uh, and apologies to all the accountants out there, uh, what I don't get is all the weird rules we have around tax. Like have you, I don't know if you've ever looked into tax law, I haven't, but it's terribly complex from what I'm told. There are hundreds and hundreds of rules about how you can and can't get money taken away from you by the government. Lots and lots of rules. So what do we do? Uh, well, every year come July, if we're really organised, or October if we're not, uh, we get together to find as many loopholes as we can in those rules. The government knows this is not a secret. They're like, that's cool, go for it. Right? Do you think that's, I, I think that's really weird. I mean, there's even professionals in our society, professionals whose very job it is to help us find more of those loopholes and take more money away from the government. And I mean, in, in fact, the, ironically, the richer you are, the more of those professionals you can afford to employ to give the government even less money. And the government, the whole time, is like, yeah, that's fine, we're okay with that. That, that is weird. <laughs> that is a strange system when you stop to think about it. It is a whole system designed around finding loopholes, exploiting them, and cheating the system, paying as little as we possibly can, as uh, lawfully as we possibly can. And that is weird. I, I think that is weird. But that's kind of who we are, isn't it? <laughs> If there's a system and if there is a chance for us to exploit that system uh, so that we can be you know, penalised the least or pay the least or get the most, we do that. We, we like that kind of system. We like bending the rules and making it work for us, don't we? we? We do it in all sorts of things. And I think there's a temptation that we can look at the Christian life a bit like that too. As a system whose rules we know but kind of just want to bend, you know, so that we can get the best life, so that we can get the best way, have the easiest way. Now today in this passage, Jesus confronts two groups of people who are trying to do this in very different ways, trying to exploit the system to their own advantage. And to each of them, he gives some really hard words. He says to them, those loopholes might make it feel better in the short term, but they work out badly. His way, on the other hand, is harder, but better now. And even better in the long term too. This is the ultimate anti-minimalist passage. There is no minimalism with Jesus. Jesus' way is fuller. That means it's harder and more thorough. But as we're going to see today, it is also far, far better. Now you might be wondering how that's possible in this passage. You look at the first topic that it covers and it's a very hard topic. 
Uh, it's a hard topic not only because it's complex, it's a hard topic because it's personal and very emotive as well. And yet this is the topic that Jesus spoke about. And so we're going to join him in learning what he's saying about this. Uh, come with me to chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now we need to understand this is not just another question, this is not just a clarification that they're after. This is a really hot topic at this time. So we're told Jesus has crossed over the Jordan, he's in uh, this new area. Politically, this is a hot topic. The king of that area, King Herod, uh, he, he had what we'll call a, a complex marriage uh, involving his brother's wife and multiple divorces and multiple remarriages. Like I said, complex. He didn't like people criticising his relationships. Uh, in fact, it was something that he'd killed people for. So this is a pretty tense question to be asked. But secondly, it's tense religiously because see what they ask. They ask, what is lawful? That is Jesus how are you going to decide what the law that Moses gave us says about divorce? How are you going to handle the law here? See, there's all this tension built up into this question, but Jesus kind of dodges all of those tensions and navigates this really well. Look at verse 3 through 9. What did Moses command you, he replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So we don't know who these Pharisees were. We don't know where they stood. But what we do know is at this time, there's two kind of schools of thinking, two poles of thinking on divorce amongst them. Uh, one school said, no divorce uh, except for in the case of marital unfaithfulness. That is kind of the only permissible situation. The other school said, yes to divorce as long as a man finds any fault with his wife. Notice that a man finds any fault with his wife. So if she burns your dinner, that is grounds for divorce. If you see a more attractive woman, therefore your wife is at fault. That is grounds for divorce. I kid you not, that's actually written down. That's where they stood. And Jesus said, you guys are nuts. You have entirely missed this point. Yes, Moses made an, uh, an allowance for divorce. If you go back to Deuteronomy 24, you, you can read that there. Uh, it's there in order to protect women uh, in case of separation. But what the, the Pharisees had done was absolutely missed what that law was about. So that, that passage in Deuteronomy, that allowance that, that Moses made, that was the exception. It's not the intention that God had around marriage. And, you know, you can't just read it and say, yes, we can divorce. Let's figure out how we, how we do that. You know, that's just reading in what they wanted. What, what's, what's God's intention? Well, Jesus says it clearly. He says, remember the context. Remember the bigger picture. Remember what God said all the way back there in Genesis chapter 3. He said, marriage is good. 
Remember that one flesh relationship that God said will be between a man and his wife, different between with him and his parents, this, this precious relationship. That's God's intent. Yes, there's a law about divorce, but that law isn't the point. I mean, you don't go and learn how to fly a plane by studying the section on how to crash. No, it's totally nuts. Likewise, you don't learn about marriage by studying the section on divorce. But that's what the Pharisees did. They fixated on that law. They said, let's define it. Let's work out exactly when it can be done. You know, not so we can follow God's intention best, but so that we can figure out exactly what we can do and figure out exactly as much as we can do in order to get the best deal for ourselves. See, the Pharisees are looking for exceptions. They're looking for, for chances to serve self through God's law. And Jesus flips it all on its head. He says, no. Instead, seek God's will. Seek God's intent and do that. Uh, do, you remember, do you remember Marie Kondo? Marie Kondo was kind of like the hot thing on Netflix a couple of years ago. This, uh, if, you, if you haven't heard of her, don't look into her. It's not, not worth it. Uh, what Marie Kondo's big thing is, she's a, she's a declutterer. Rara. I didn't know that was a thing, uh, but apparently it is. She is a minimalist. She will come into your home and help you uh, declutter, get rid of things in your house in order to give you a better life. Uh, she reckons we've got too much stuff. She reckons happiness is found in having less stuff. Maybe, only maybe she's got a point. But the way she operates is, uh, she says, go into your garage, go into your cupboards, go wherever there's too much stuff, pick up something, ask yourself... Does this thing bring me joy? Does this thing bring me joy? If it does, keep it. Uh, if it doesn't, get rid of it. Therefore, we no longer have a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> okay, we do, we do have a vacuum cleaner. Don't worry about us. Uh, but you know, okay, maybe that principle works sometimes. Maybe not other times. Now, we, we, we might not be disciples of Marie Kondo. You maybe have never heard of her. If so, your life is richer for it. But we do tend to take that view of life sometimes, don't we? At least a little bit. We, we look at our life, we see things that are not bringing us joy or perhaps things that are hard or unpleasant, and we say, yeah, I'll stop that. I'll get rid of it. It's not bringing me joy. It's making my life harder. It's bringing me maybe some pain. We'll dump it. And there's a danger we can do it in marriage. It's kind of what the Pharisees were hinting at. It's hard. It's not bringing me as much joy as it could. We've lost the spark. Let's dump it. I mean, after all, the Bible doesn't forbid divorce, so we could. We wouldn't even be breaking the law. And that's the same as the Pharisees, isn't it? Let's find a way around this rule that works for us, that suits us. And Jesus says, no, you are completely missing the point. You're, you're misusing the law and you're trying to justify doing it because that's not how we look at what God says. We don't use his laws, his ways to serve ourselves. We use them for him. 
And that's what Jesus is getting at when he, he explains it further to his disciples in verse 10. Uh, just look at those two verses with me. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. See, notice in both of those examples, Jesus is saying it's the one who leaves and the one who remarries. They're the one who compounds their error by committing adultery, by sinning even further. See, Jesus' point is essentially the same. He's saying leaving a marriage with, with the intent of remarrying, that's bending this, that, that's completely breaking this idea. It's not technically breaking the law, but it's bending it. It's, it's pushing beyond its intent. It's finding loopholes. So don't do it. It's not how we treat what God says. We don't look at it for opportunities to exploit it or to get the best deal for ourselves. We seek out his will. We try to follow that. Life with Jesus is not about the loopholes. Now that's hard. That's hard for us because it comes very naturally to us. You know, we, we think about this in all different ways of life. <laughs> I mean, we think about it when we're driving, don't we? I don't know about you, we, we don't always ask the speed limit. Uh, we ask the speed limit because we want to know at what point above the speed limit do we get in trouble. You know, is it, is it 10%, you know, where you start getting fines? Is it, I think, 35Ks over where it's automatically loose? You know, that's, that means I can do 120 in a 110 zone and not get in trouble. But that's how we operate, isn't it? We think, how can I get the most out of this? And Jesus is saying, that's not how we operate. We don't look for mere obedience. We don't look for the, the barest minimum, the lowest common denominator. We look for God's will. We seek out God's intent in this. We seek out what he's after. Jesus is saying the loopholes are not the path to get the most out of life. Jesus is saying God's intent, God's will. That's actually the way to get the most out of life. That's actually best for us. It's not about the bare minimum. It's about the maximum. That's following Jesus. That is being his disciple. And so in terms of marriage then, in terms of what we're talking about here, it means we try to understand God's beautiful purpose in it. We understand his intent, this, this new unity that is created when husband and wife come together, when they say goodbye to their families and, and come together as a new family. We say, that's precious. That's what God wants. It's, it's a picture of his love. It's a picture of his nature. So we take it really seriously. It means we don't neglect our marriages. We don't look for chances to get out. We don't self-sabotage. But we prize it. We work for it, even when it's tough. Now, there are some caveats here, and I have to mention them, because life is complex. Uh, our lives are broken. Now, Jesus doesn't cover them because he's trying to drive at that point, and if he tries to cover all the exceptions, this is going to be a really long passage that destroys that point. But they do exist, uh, and we need to make note of them here. It is true that in the case of unfaithfulness, uh, divorce is permissible. But note that, permissible. Uh, not required. Maybe not even desirable or wise. But it is permissible. 
also if marriage is dangerous if there's abuse be it physical or emotional or spiritual then again separation and divorce is permissible it's not God's will for anyone uh, but it's also not God's will for anyone especially women to be trapped in that sort of situation but also note if you have divorced that is not although it is against God's intent for marriage it is not the unforgivable sin uh, there's probably regret guilt uh, hurt I'm guessing a whole range of emotions with that experience but what there isn't is rejection from God because God consistently says that everyone who comes to him repentant and contrite and broken he will receive and forgive and restore now that's all I want to say on that right now we could you know it's it's complex it's painful we could talk about this for hours uh, you probably don't want me to do that and I don't really want to do that but if this is something that you feel you would like to talk about more uh, if there's questions that you're wrestling with then please let's let's chat let's let's get together and have that talk um, or if not me have a chat with your elder it can it can be discreet it can be confidential um, but what I don't want is ongoing questions or especially ongoing hurt in a situation like this the gospel brings light it brings difficult things to light and it brings it for healing so let's chat uh, please get in touch but the passage continues in that basic principle of following God's intent and looking for the maximum Jesus expands that greatly in what comes next in his next couple of encounters uh, first of all look with me at verse 13 uh, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them but the disciples rebuked them when Jesus saw this he was indignant he said to them let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these I tell you the truth anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it and he took the children in his arms put his hands on them and blessed them it's amazing this is actually the only time in Mark's gospel that that word uh, indignant is used the only time Jesus gets really angry is again a time when the disciples completely misunderstand what his kingdom is all about and and in their misunderstanding they actually do something really horrible they're preventing people who can and should come to his kingdom from actually getting to him so no wonder he gets them angry but he also gives them a lesson a lesson about his kingdom how do you receive it well you receive it like a little child but what does that mean <laughs> what does that actually mean I don't know if you've, we, we read that and we think oh that's lovely but what does it actually mean does it mean we receive it in innocence uh, does it mean we receive it not really having a clue what's going on like our kids sometimes demonstrate during their kids talks does it mean we receive it in just simplicity or naivety does it mean we receive it in entire trust or just in faith what it what's Jesus actually saying well I think actually the context makes it quite clear 
I think Jesus is saying we receive it in utter dependence. We receive it in utter dependence, bringing nothing, depending entirely. The reason I think that, because of what comes next. Look with me at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So up comes this man uh, to Jesus. He is a good man. He knows the law. He keeps the law. Uh, The other gospels tell us he's... Uh, rich and he's young and he's a ruler so this this is an impressive figure this is a great guy who comes up to Jesus but he still has a question he's still uncertain about his eternity what what must I do to inherit it so he asks Jesus and Jesus gives him this weird answer why do you call me good I mean it's like they're having two different conversations isn't it only God's good I mean actually I know people who used to do this you know they'd say how are you? And you say, I'm, I'm good. Ah, no one's good. No one's good but God alone. Okay, I'm well. I get it. But see, Jesus isn't just having a bit of a laugh with this guy. Jesus isn't just stirring him. Did you notice he didn't actually say he was wrong? He didn't say, you're wrong to call me good. He just said, only God is good. <laughs> see, what he's saying is, you're right. You're actually right. I am good. You're you're actually far righter than you know, only you just can't see it right now. And so Jesus tests him, takes him to the law. Have you done these things? Have you followed the commandments, the, the path to God's place, to being with him? And yet the man claims, yes, yes, I have kept them. Notice again, Jesus doesn't say, you're a liar. <laughs> he doesn't say that at all. Maybe he has kept them, and maybe he has kept them even if just as they're written. In fact, what we see is Jesus looks at this guy and loves him. That's a remarkable reaction. Jesus isn't teasing this guy. He's not, you know, uh, just testing him or just pushing him for the heck of it. He genuinely likes him. He is trying to help him and trying to lead him closer. And so he points out what he does lack. You want eternity? You want treasure in heaven? Then sell what you have, give it away, and come and follow me. Don't just keep the law, don't just do the externals, but keep your heart, give it to me. And that's too much. Off this man goes, devastated. I mean, it's a tragedy, isn't it? He's come looking for eternal life. He's come looking entry into the kingdom of God. God is standing right there before him, offering it. And the man leaves, devastated. 
how hard it is to enter the kingdom. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? You know, the, the disciples must have been stunned. This, this guy is great. You know, of, of anyone who has come to Jesus, surely of all of them, this is the guy who's going to get into the kingdom. I mean, what, what a bloke. He's, he's young, he's powerful, he's rich. He, he's made it. Clearly, his life is blessed by God. You know, surely he's a walk-in. And on top of that, he's good. Like this is, this is a really great bloke. This is the guy that everyone likes. You know, everyone's cheering for him. Yeah, you've made it. But he doesn't. How difficult it is. In fact, you'd have a better chance of getting a camel through a needle's eye than a rich person into Jesus' kingdom. Don't water that down. There's this theory that it's, the, the needle is you know, a gate in Jerusalem. That's not true. It was 900 years later. It's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is simply saying, it is impossible. It's not going to happen. And the disciples get that, don't they? Finally, finally they ask the right question. Who then? Who then can be saved? If it is that hard, who can be saved? And the answer is, no one. No one can be saved. It's impossible. Verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Humanly speaking, completely nuts. Cannot happen, cannot be done. But Jesus says, God is the God of cannot be done. God is the God of the impossible. What we can't, he can. Uh, someone once told me there's, there's three types uh, of workers. There's three types uh, of employees. I don't know if this is true. It seems to, seems to pan out. Uh, type number one, you've got the guy who needs to be told what to do. He won't do anything. He'll stand around and watch until you tell him what to do. Type two, you've got the guy who asks what needs to be done. He'll come to you, he'll say, he can't figure it out, but he'll say, show me what to do, and then he'll do it. He's obviously an improvement on type number one. Number three, you've got the best, you've got the guy who just knows what needs to be done, who sees and does it. He's the guy you want to employ. Now, when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to a place in the kingdom, we like to think that we're type number three. We, we've got a pretty good uh, feel of who we are. We like to think we're that last guy. We, we know what to do. Uh, we know how to do it. And we do do it. You know, God is good. If we're good people, then we can get into his kingdom. In we go. But Jesus says in these verses, that's not true. Wake up to yourselves. It's not you at all. 
You're not that guy and you can't work your way in. That doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It's impossible. In fact, you can never do it that way. The only way in is if it is done for you. Just like those children, you can only come to God with empty hands. You can only come in utter dependence on him. You don't get to bring anything. You have to rest entirely on him who alone can do the possible, impossible and give you entry. The only way in is entirely trusting God, depending entirely on God. And that means following his son. <laughs> that's hard. Uh, actually, that's terrifying. We hate relying on other people. We hate putting our lives in the hands of someone else. Uh, we we want to contribute. We want to take some responsibility. We want to be able to do. You know, even if we have to depend on someone, we actually just want to be, even be able to check what they've done ourselves. You know, we have that saying, you know, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. We, we, we prefer something concrete. We prefer to be able to bring it, something we can see, something we can trust, you know, rather than just guessing on what might be. But that's what God asks. He says, you can't bring anything. You can only trust. You can only depend. Now, of course, there is something you can see. You can see what Jesus did. You can see the cross. You can see his sacrifice. You can see where he gave his life to take your punishment. You can see his death in your place. You can see his perfect life credited to yours. You can see him who opened that impossible way into God's kingdom for you. But you can only walk that way by trusting him. You can't build your own path there of good deeds or of being a nice person. The only way to walk that is by trusting. It is impossible for you to enter the kingdom any other way. No amount of good deeds can get you there. The only way is if your heart is fully for him and only for him. The only way is to trust him fully and walk that path wherever he leads it, even though it be costly. Look at verse 28 to 31. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children's or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. In this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them, persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. When we trust Jesus and set out on that path, depending on him entirely, we turn our back on anything that would hold us back. We saw that last week. We let go of those things that could be obstacles, whether they be houses, whether they be our families, whether they be our futures, our inheritance. 
It is a costly path he calls us to follow. But we do receive on it. We receive now and we receive even more to come. We give up our places in this world and we find a place with Jesus' people in his family. We give up our earthly families and we find his eternal family who welcome us with open arms. We give up our earthly inheritances and we find in him security and hope that is ours. We accept persecutions because his way is hard and we look forward to eternal life to come in his glory, his riches, his perfection, his kingdom forever. The cost is high, but it is better still. Uh, you might be able to swan your way through school and get away without any homework, doing the bare minimum. You might be able to slack off at uni and still get by. PPs make degrees, apparently. You might be able to fake it at work uh, and not get fired, but you can't with God. The bare minimum scraping by is not his way. In fact, even your very best won't make it. You can only trust. You can only follow him utterly and entirely. That is the only path. I don't know what that path will cost you. I don't know what it has cost you. I don't know what this path will cost me. It may be very hard for us to pay. But whatever to come, whatever it is, What's to come is better by far. Trust him, simply trust him, only trust him. Above all else, trust him. I'm going to finish with a story. Uh, I think I might have shared this with some of you before. Uh, it's a story of a, a Pakistani uh, named Rashid who converted from Islam to Christianity. Uh, he became a Christian. He uh, said goodbye to Islam and on that day, his family rejected him. His wife was forced by her family to leave him, and she took with her their young daughter. Uh, and this is what Rashid wrote. Some might conclude that my life is pitiable. After all, every evening after I finish my shift, I go home to an empty flat, one not filled with the gleeful shouts of a six-year-old child. When I go to bed at night, there is no one beside me to say, I love you. I expect never to hear from my parents on my birthday, or on any other day for that matter. The only noise in my home comes from the television set, and that I do not watch very often. But to pity me would be to miss the joy I have experienced. I believe things are better now than they were before I was a Christian. My house might be quiet, but I'm not lonely. My family may have forsaken me, but I'm not abandoned. I have Christ, and that is enough. Indeed, it is more than enough. In my eyes, I have been blessed beyond measure, far greater than I deserve, and more than I could have hoped. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come 
eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the promises that you have made to us here. Lord, the path that you call us to is hard, is costly, but your promises are so much better. Father, it's a path that we can walk because you have done for us the impossible. You have opened that way for sinners like us to walk it in Jesus so that we truly can enter your kingdom and experience that glory, that eternity that you've promised. Father, help us to trust you entirely on that walk. Help us to trust you completely regardless of what that cost might be. Father, you've promised that we'll find in you all that we need now and even better to come. Help us to treasure those things. Treasure them now and, and look forward to that day. Help us to follow you wholeheartedly, completely, loving and desiring you in all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.